0: Welcome to the ClassCast Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tibbins. Today, I'd like to take a few minutes to have a quick talk about the return to school and why everything seems to be changing so quickly. Right now, that last part, that's kind of silly, right? Because it seems like since March of 2020, everything changes quickly about every two to four weeks, right? We get new guidance all the time, whether that's from the CDC and the World Health Organization, from local school boards, from you name it, right? It's just a time of constant, constant flux. But, in this case, I want to talk specifically about how many local school divisions uh, both in Northern Virginia where I live but also nationwide are are making rapid changes to push back into schools now first, of course, there are some schools that have been in person or you know hybrid you know distance learning and in person all all year long since September or you know August of 2020. But in, in many places, particularly in suburban areas, uh, some urban areas, generally mostly in around, around big cities and around the coasts, have been online for most or all of the school year. But now as we're into February and getting into March of, of 2021, we're hearing more and more places pushing to get back into school. We've seen a lot of places that have already reopened, you know, in January or December, which is really kind of strange when you consider that the the health numbers, the community infection rates, etc. were really hitting their peaks in late December and, and into early and mid-January so the, the question that I hear a lot of teachers asking is, why now? Why are we suddenly making this big push when when the health risks appear to be at their peak? Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's a valid question. It's a fair question. Uh, where, where I work, you know, the, the schools have done a fantastic job. Local government's done a wonderful job getting teachers vaccinated, uh, getting us sort of bumped to the to the top or near the top of the list in terms of priority. And and so, you know, I, I would say logically, if, if the community is going to do that work and, and secure the vaccines and get everybody vaccinated and, and as safe as we can be to get back to, school, then logically, we should be heading back, right? I, I don't know that it makes any sense for a teacher to argue, I need to be vaccinated early. And then I also need to stay online. Like if you're gonna be staying home, then you probably didn't need the shot. But you know, that that piece aside, I'm hearing a lot of talk from a lot of very good teachers, very smart people who, who seem to be frustrated or confused about the push to return. So where I'm working, you know, we're we're making the return to school in person um, hybrid, of course, you know, some kids will be in class and many kids will be online. But we're, we're seeing that shift coming for the earlier grades in mid-February and for the older grades, uh, you know, for high school in early March. But just as soon as that decision was made, there's suddenly this new push to get everyone back into school four or five days per week. Now, there's this huge push for five days a week, but as long as the hybrid format continues, as long as many or even most of the students are going to continue to be online, teachers are going to have to be planning in different ways, adjusting their materials, etc., I don't know that five days per week is going to happen, at least not for this school year. I think, you know, in the fall, it's perfectly reasonable to expect that we're going to be back in school full-time with a distance option for some students. But in, in the immediate situation where we've sort of fallen into this schedule where, you know, like many places, we're doing four days a week for us. Monday is the asynchronous day. I know many places in the country, Wednesday is that day. And to be honest, I really think that we should keep one day a week. And my vote would be Monday. Um, I know a lot of people are pushing for Wednesday. But, you know, to keep an asynchronous day uh, forever, you know, both because it allows for better communication, meeting schedules, times to remediate and work with students, hold parent conferences, et cetera, uh, you know, and, and I'll probably do a, another quick episode about the benefits of of doing the the 4-day synchronous live and the 1-day asynchronous at another point in the future but for right now you know as quickly as as our local school board made the vote to open schools up in person to get those hybrid students back in the building uh, suddenly it went from get my kid back at all to back 5 days a week full time everybody in the building boom 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 right and and what's interesting is as the parents started saying that right around the same time you know a few weeks later Suddenly, the school board, even the most cautious members of the school board are starting to sound like they're in support of this. Suddenly, there's a lot of talk from people who earlier in the year were as cautious as you could be. we suddenly saying, you know, hey, I, I think that by, you know, April or by May, we can have students back in school in person four days a week, not just the one or two days, you know, that, that a lot of places have been talking about. They're saying we're going to get everybody back. They're saying, hey, we may, you know, let parents change their change their votes to send even more kids into the buildings. That represents a massive change, and, and what I think is interesting is how many teachers believe that that is because of the pressure that parents are putting on the system. Now, first of all, parents have every right to put pressure on the system. The school system exists to serve the youth of the community, and who is most responsible for the youth of the community? Their parents. So it's perfectly reasonable that those parents would have concerns or that they would speak their minds about reopening schools, getting their children an education, etc. Okay, so I don't want to take anything away from that. The parents have every right to speak up. They have every right to demand um, access to quality education. That's that's an important thing that we provide that we promised every child in this country. And so I, I don't know if it's reasonable for teachers to to balk at that or to say well you know how dare they expect us to be in the building like that's that's what they're paying you for i mean you know we can do this online and it's working for some people but it's also not working for a lot and so i don't think that we should ever um, discredit or disregard when a parent or a student has a concern or complaint about the current format i don't know that we should do that about any format to be honest but uh, you know a lot of people put on the parents to say oh they're they're upset they're complaining and that's what's going to turn the tide here that's why we're going back you know, and that's part of it. But I, I think that that's a symptom, not a not a primary cause, right? And so what is actually driving this very rapid rate of change uh, really across the country? But again, folks, you know, I can use where I live and work as prime examples for that. What's with the rapid change? It's two things. And it's two things that I think most teachers, most school employees are overlooking. One it's budget season. We need money to run schools next year. And as long as schools aren't open in person, or as long as uh, students aren't back in the building, you know, full time or close to it, then there's a there's a really valid argument for why schools don't necessarily need full funding, or why a reduced budget is reasonable. Uh, in, in the local local government, we've heard many people both in elected positions and in staff, uh, who, have, who have made the argument, or at least made the comment that, you know, maybe we need to withhold 10% of the budget, maybe we need to go ahead with some budget cuts, and then on top of it, withhold a certain amount of money until the schools are open in person full time you know, and, and that's, that's serious leverage. And so I think we all need to consider that very strongly. I was talking about this with a friend, uh, just today and he, he said, yeah, but that's outrageous. You know, property values are up. Um, you know, some, some jobs in the economy have taken a hit, but overall locally, most people are doing pretty well. We haven't seen the kind of, of recession symptoms that a lot of us expected maybe earlier on, um, which by the way, they may still be coming, but, uh, you know, he says with property values up the, the tax revenues there, you know, why wouldn't they give us the money? And I said, well, because people aren't happy with the service you know and they have a legitimate complaint not, not that everyone's making it legitimately but that's a it's a legitimate complaint and so that creates a you know an awkward position when you're at the bargaining table saying we need money we need to hire teachers we need to give people raises you know when when the community is you know not feeling great about the services they're providing then it's reasonable for them to say well do we really want to pay for this or do we certainly do we want to pay more okay but it's also not just the money there's also a really interesting power dynamic sort of in flux right now so Locally, there was a a man who spoke at a school board meeting, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks ago, a while back. And uh, he ended up on the national news. You know, this this popped up on Fox News and on some conservative news outlets uh, across the country. There's a few places in Great Britain and Western Europe that picked it up. And he yelled. He yelled for his whole you know 60 seconds or 90 seconds, whatever it is. And he he said how he was unhappy. His kids needed to be in school. And then repeated the phrase "figure it out," which has now become a popular hashtag: "figure it out." Get my kid into school. Figure it out. Disregarding how many problems and how many you know weird situations that that schools and governments have already been figuring out over the last year. Uh, You know, and the, and the guy's gotten a little bit of fame out of this Some local restaurants, you know, been giving him free food. He was invited to speak on a panel uh, on a news. I think it was on Fox News, you know, and, and so he's getting his 15 minutes of fame because he just got fed up and showed up and screamed at the school board that one. He has every right to be upset and he has every right to speak his mind. I also don't know that we necessarily want to praise the man for shouting and losing his cool. Um, I just, I don't know that that's the kind of discourse that we want to promote. You know, so the fact that other people are supporting the behavior and rewarding it tells you two things. First, that a lot of people feel the same way. And two, a lot of other people see some benefits to showcasing that behavior. So what do I mean by that? Well, we've already sort of talked through part of the money issue. You know, what are we going to do about budgets? Um, but, But what about this power issue? So what a lot of public school teachers have not been paying very close attention to lately is the rise in interest in school choice. Now, I've, I've got some episodes that we've already done that relate to school choice. Some of my early episodes in, in early 2020 and, and the summer of 2020 dealt with the idea of school choice. I talked to people who did, you know, uh, unschooling and world schooling and all kinds of, of varieties like that. But, but now, you know, in early 2021, I've got several episodes talking to people about the direct concept of school choice and vouchers and, you know, how to access private schools and get at least some public funding for it and things like that, what many public school teachers don't realize is how popular that idea is getting and maybe how old it is. This idea has been floating around for a very long time, but really started to gain strength uh, under Ronald Reagan. It continues to build popularity, uh, you know, over the next 30, 40 years. And in the last few years, there's been a big push, OK? This is something that that President Trump and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, that was their top priority, was to put a voucher system in place where students could get vouchers uh, of public money to go spend at whatever private schools or institutions that, that they saw fit. Now, maybe one benefit to all of this is that while President Trump did accomplish many things. Most of it was done through executive orders and and things like that, you know, and so the kind of changes they're proposing in education funding really was going to require real legislation to go through Congress. And that was not something they did a whole lot of, right? Aside from tax reform, there wasn't a whole lot of that getting done. And so, you know, it didn't actually happen, but it did help to popularize the talk. And I think it attracted attention uh, to and maybe support from many other people in government, particularly, you know, people, right, conservative, Republican, etc. But what's really interesting is that as the pandemic has pressed on, as many schools have been closed in person, you know, and students have been learning online, you're having people who previously would have never considered leaving public school, people who love the concept of public school, who never would have advocated for school choice, suddenly considering the idea because now they're realizing that if that public school isn't providing quality service or the service that they like, they don't really have other good options. Yes, you can pay for a private school out of pocket, but many families can't can't do that or would feel an an immense, immense constriction on their, their personal budgets. But with a little bit of public funding, you know, whether that's the you know, $5,000, $8,000, $12,000, whatever it may be, with that additional funding made available, some families are realizing, hey, maybe I could pay for my kid to go to a private school. Maybe I should pay for some of these other options, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we're having is this sort of uh, renaissance of, of the school choice discussion. And so you have people uh, on the policy side, people who maybe advocate strongly for public schools, pushing harder than ever to maintain public schools to maintain public school funding but you have this growing interest in school choice there's this growing cry for uh, fund students not institutions or some variety of that and so when when we have these ideas you know it all sounds good it's hard to argue against choice cuz who doesn't think people should have choice who doesn't think that people should have freedom who doesn't think that parents should be trusted to make good decisions about their own children's well-being and education However, the concept of choice is a little more threatening than that, because in, in the long run, it is likely to undermine the public school system in many ways. Uh, and, and the first and most obvious one is going to be by essentially removing funds. Now, in the short term, I think a lot of places can and probably would experience savings, particularly if they were to offer vouchers at a lower at a lower price, a lower rate than what they actually spend on average per pupil. But in the long term, as more and more private schools, charter schools, unschooling centers, et cetera, open up, that creates more and more opportunities for people to go because there will be more availability. The price will drop a little bit. And so people will start to see and potentially be attracted to those options now again this is where i'm sort of stuck and this is why the class cast podcast is having uh, several guests and i'm recording several episodes on the concept of school choice because I'm, I'm torn on one hand i love the public school system I, I think it needs massive renovations and improvements and all that but as a concept it's a good one and it's something that we should guarantee to everyone On the other hand, it's hard to say that people shouldn't have the choice or the influence over their own education or over the education of their children. It's hard to say that we need to use the tax dollars to fund the school system when for some students, maybe they would be better served in a different school setting. You know, are are we trying to fund the best education for each individual student or are we trying to fund a school system? Ideally, they're the same thing. Ideally, we don't even have to have this discussion. But we all know that there are at least some students who are not and maybe never have been served well by public schools. We also know that there's some people who have legitimate reasons for looking for other options. So what does all this have to do with our return to school? Well, now somewhere around 30, I've lost track, but somewhere around 30 states in the country have pending legislation that would change the way we fund public schools. Essentially, you have 30 or, you know, give or take 30 states that are considering the options of vouchers or some other method of delivering education dollars directly to families rather than to the local public school system. Now, the family could, of course, continue to say, I'm going to public school and their funds would just go there. But this also means that they have the choice to go elsewhere. And when you're in the middle of a pandemic and the school is maybe not functioning as it normally would, you're online, you're hybrid, you're part-time, you know, whatever it may be, it's reasonable to think that many parents, many families would look elsewhere, sometimes because of the quality of education. And in some cases, it would probably just be because they want their kid in school, whether that's for childcare issues, uh, socialization, or, or the actual schooling itself. So when when teachers get confused or teachers are getting upset and saying, why on earth are they pushing for us to go back to school four and five days a week with large groups of kids in the room when just a few weeks ago we weren't going to be going back at all? You know, how do you go from all distance learning to a couple days a week hybrid to get everybody back in the building in just a couple of months? What explains the rate of change? It's not one guy yelling at a school board. It's not one group of parents who show up and have their kids read scripts. Now, those people are part of this. Those people are driving part of this. But there are much, much bigger issues at play, and most of them are political and financial, okay? So we have to be concerned about the budget, because if we can't secure funding from communities to support the schools, to pay the teachers, et cetera, then all of this is for nothing, okay? I know a lot of teachers who would prefer to stay online in the short term, some for the long term. Some are waiting for vaccinations. Some want to wait for the vaccination and for community infection numbers to drop, but I, I tell you what, if you're serious about keeping your job, if you're serious about newer teachers, you know, people with less experience that are keeping their jobs next year and beyond, then we probably need to get back to school sooner rather than later. I'm not saying we need to do it now, and I'm not saying we should rush, be hasty, be unsafe about it. I'm just saying that right now we're, we're right at that point where local governments, where boards of supervisors have to decide on budgets and school funding for the next fiscal year. And as a result, it's going to be much, much easier for those elected officials to say we're going to provide the funding and to maintain their own political careers for them to get reelected if they say we're only giving the funding if you're back in school. Okay, that's a political issue. But you also then have to consider the broader power structures. What is happening at the state and federal level where more and more people are considering choice options, where more and more people are looking at changing the way we fund schools or fund students and voucher programs and the rest. You have a lot of people who are either politicians who have to get reelected or people who are career, uh, government bureaucrats, people who have been working in these administrative roles for years and years and years, who are looking very seriously at the possibility that not only might we jeopardize our entire public school system, but that they individually might be losing their jobs, uh, Losing their livelihoods, etc. If those people don't want to give up their role or the positive influence that the public school system has, then they know they're looking at that big picture and they say we need to get back into these buildings. And even on that local level, you have local politicians from the school board to the board of supervisors saying yes, we need to get back into the building because the longer we drag this out, especially once the vaccines get rolling, the longer we drag this out, the more upset the community is going to be and the harder it's going to be to justify giving a full budget. So, yes, some of this is about health. Yes, some of this is about what a few angry parents are saying in a school board meeting or anything else. But the big drivers, the big things that are happening right now that are going to cause a very fast shift back into schools in most parts of the country coming up over the next uh, next couple of months this spring. uh, It's not just those angry parents. It is about budgets. It is about careers. It is about power. And who controls the power in education? So before anybody gets too upset at a school board member for how they respond to someone who spoke at the meeting, we're getting too upset at a parent who yelled or said something rude at a meeting. Remember that what's at stake is much larger and that the forces at player go far beyond what meets the eye. Also remember that there are parts of the country that have been in person all year long and that in most cases where some you know social distancing, masks, hand washing, et cetera, where reasonable safety precautions are in place, in most of those places infection rates have been very very low or non-existent. So you know everyone says, well look at the science, look at the data. The science says that if we do this carefully, if we do this right, we can probably be back in school okay particularly if the staff has been vaccinated. And for the teachers who are cautious about it, I understand it, but let me tell you, if you are serious about protecting the public school system, if you believe strongly that every student should have access to a public school system and that we don't want to undermine that through some element of voucher's choice or something else, then the number one thing you can do to support those goals is to get back to work in person in the school building. That may seem unfair and and the rest, and maybe it is, but the reality is that this is more of a political decision than a, than a health-based, you know, infection rate issue. And so, yes, the metrics maybe got tossed out the window, but you have to decide, you know, if you're a teacher and this is your career plan, how long are you willing to stay home for that immediate safety and security versus how much are you willing to risk in terms of your career, your livelihood, or the public school system at large? This has been the ClassCast Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tibbins. If anybody would like to comment, I would love to hear what you have to say on the topic. You can reach me through social media on Facebook and Instagram at Classcast Podcast, and on Twitter at Classcast Pod. You can also find the ClassCast Podcast on all major streaming services, plus YouTube and at www.ClassCastPodcast.com, where there is a contact form and you can provide comments and feedback there. If anybody has anything to add to the discussion about how the return to schools maybe has more to do with money and politics than it does about actual, you know, sort of health or the direct quality of education, I would love to hear those thoughts. Thank you very much and have a good day.